can explain everything that happened and uh, she was there with him through thick and thin and since we're talking about healing this morning and uh, and because many of you have heard Terry's testimony I wanted you to hear from Hope's perspective this morning but just for maybe for those who haven't heard or don't know the story just first of all just kind of remind us what happened a little over a year ago about a year ago Terry was um, in a pasture with a mule a real animal mule and he um, got on it and it threw him and he hit face first down on the ground and when he hit face first he it knocked all the air out of him and he inhaled everything that was on the ground pretty much so um, he went to the hospital of course and was very sick and he um, was in ICU on a ventilator for quite a while the, the, there were some times that they, I guess they kind of called in the well, family that it just didn't yeah. look good right after three weeks of of being on the ventilator, first of all, um, he had an infection that was from horse manure, and it was, um, the doctor said it was a lethal infection that, that in itself would probably, you know, kill him. And then he also had blood clots in both legs. His spleen was bleeding, so he couldn't take anything to get rid of the blood clots. He also, his liver was failing. Uh, he had a brain injury. Everything you know, it was going, pretty much going wrong at that point in time. So after three weeks of, of being on a ventilator with that kind of news, the doctor told me, he said, you know, his chances, he's got a way better chance of dying than he does living, and you need to start thinking of end-of-life end decisions. This was on a Thursday. And uh, I said, well, can we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to pray about this and, and uh, make the decision? So... Then on Monday, Ben was with me through all of this, of course, but then on Monday, uh, Ben came to me and he said, Mama, before we make this decision, now that the doctors have changed, the doctor that we had had left that gave us all the bad news. He said, we have a new doctor now. Let's see what she has to say. Mm -hmm. So we met with her that Monday morning, and the first question Ben asked her was, are you a Christian? And she said, honey, my family does not wear black to funerals, and we go to celebrate. So Ben and I knew as soon as, excuse me. That's okay. We knew as soon as she said that, that Amen. things were going to change, and they did. Amen. Amen. Were there times that uh, even the medical care that Terry received, you were just impressed, and you were saying it's amazing what they were doing God's hand was in it through from the beginning to the end. I, I know that every person that we came in contact with, every medical person that we came in contact with was preordained. I already know that because they knew exactly what to say, what to do, what we needed that day. They would say something that we needed that day. So they were awesome. All the personnel were awesome. But I was most impressed with that, that doctor. Because she that was when things turned around. She Amen. said, he is in God's hand. That's right. Let's move forward. Mm. And she started doing some things that she said. That the other doctor had told us that he would not make it through. He said, there's no reason for us to do this, 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 and this. He can't make it through. He's, he's too sick. She said, let's move forward and see what happens. God's in control. And that was the one that made the most difference. So there were times when... If you, it, it, a medically informed mind, apart from the power of God, would have totally given up 
hope. Exactly. I mean, it, that he did. The doctor that we had before her, he told us, he said, there's no reason to continue. We need to, to you know, turn the ventilator off. He's, there's no way he can make it. So. You know, there, there, was, there was one t- day I particularly remember um, that with Ben and myself and uh, Pastor Randy from over at Hall, we were standing in there, and, and after you had shared with us the news that you had recently got, that uh, Brother Randy said, so we need a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I remember we, we anointed Terry that day in, in the hospital room, and the family and the pastors were standing around, and we we prayed for that miracle, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, God, I believe, used those prayers, but also used mm-hmm. wonderfully gifted medical person, yep. all the way down to, um, you guys were at Shepherd Center for how right. long? We were there for about seven weeks, yeah. And so, even when they said he might live, but he might not walk, yeah. they had him up. They got him going. Walking, yeah. and so, uh, anything else you'd like to add to that? Well, I would like to say this, the power of prayer. Amen. We always have, through our whole ministry, all the years that we were in the ministry, always prayed for God's will, God's will, God's will be done. And when, when I was going through all that, I was so weak, and so not just physically but spiritually weak, that I, that I prayed from my heart and asked God. I said, I want him to live. Hmm. And God, God answered that prayer. Amen. We went through... Um, something feeling God's power as we've never felt it before those four months that he was sick the power of God was felt so strongly I've never felt that before and so because of that would I want to go through what we went through again no Mm. that was four hard months I wouldn't want to go through that again but am I grateful for it yes I'm very grateful for it do I cherish it yes with all my heart because I felt a power that we don't feel that often on this earth. And, and it was such a, such a wonderful encounter with God Amen. that I cherish it and I'll never forget it. Amen. And, and let us know why Terry's not here. Oh, he's not today. here today because he's preaching. So he's preaching. Amen. <laughs> he's Give the Lord a praise yeah. for that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Terry couldn't be here today because he's preaching. And uh, when God gives you your strength back physically, it is for his glory that you might use it to serve him. We're going to see that in our text this morning. But I couldn't think of a better way to get this message started than to illustrate it with a personal testimony of someone who has actually seen and experienced what the Scripture is talking about right here. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5, and let's stand as we open God's Word together. James chapter 5, we've been in this series titled True Healing. We've looked at our hearts, talking about the spiritual healing and the rebirth that everyone is in need of from the moment they're born. We talked about our homes and the need for healing in the homes and churches and in this land today. Last week, we looked at our hurts and healing from emotional pain and brokenness that life brings to us. And some of you begin to experience even some healing in those areas. And today, we want to ask questions about physical healing. I put it last. It's not the most important area of healing. It may be the most controversial But certainly those other areas 
take precedence, but yet there are more questions concerning what we should believe and what the Bible says about physical healing. And so if you found your place in James chapter 5, uh, let's look at verse 13, and we'll come back and look at some of the previous uh, verses to that and see it in its context in just a moment. But it says this, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And then it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual or the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a testimony of your power. Lord, we thank you that sometimes you give us grace to deliver us from the fire, and sometimes you let us walk through the fire and you walk with us. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand how to live and apply the truths of your word, that we would not err either from the neglect of this teaching or from the abuse of this teaching, but that we would seek to know you, to know your power in good times and in bad, that we would experience the healing touch and the result of effective prayer in a mighty God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We're talking about fervent praying for true healing, true healing. As we look at this text, I'm reminded of a story that Philip Yancey told in his book that he titled Disappointed with God. Sometimes people uh, pray for certain things and, and God doesn't answer the prayer the way they thought he should or the way they were taught that he would. And so they get angry with God. And sometimes in different seasons of life, we get disappointed with God. And in his book, he writes the story of a young man who was interested to know if this God thing was for real, if God worked in miraculous ways, if God did powerful things. And he found a particular evangelist, uh, an evangelist that had a healing ministry on TV. And so he said, I've got to check this out. It looks real, sounds real. So he went to where this evangelist was. And on that particular day, a man who was a physician came forward and said that he had a, a lung disease that had caused him to be immobilized and, and not able to do much. And after, after a moment of prayer and ecstasy and excitement in the worship, he said he, he had felt the healing of God. This evangelist had said, I have healed you. You're better now. And uh, sent this physician and certainly this young man who, was, who had traveled here and who had seen all of this thought, wow, this man is a doctor Man, you can, you can kind of follow up on this and verify that he experienced the healing touch of God. And so he got the doctor's name, and he was going to follow up on this. And Philip Yancey tells a story that a few weeks later, the, after looking up this doctor's name, finding his home phone number, he called the doctor's home. And the doctor's wife answered the phone, and he asked to speak to her husband. And he said what he heard in response to that 
rocked his world and wrecked his faith when this doctor's wife said, who is this? And she acted like he was playing some kind of prank. And then she said these words, my husband is dead. My husband is dead. And all of a sudden he thought, man, this was just some kind of phony show that was taking place in an evangelistic service to convince people of something that I now know wasn't real. Now let me say as a church, if we're not careful as Christians and even those who are skeptics, we can throw out the baby with the bathwater. When there is so much out there that is phony and so much that is misplaced, if we're not careful, we will miss out on what is a true healing available for Christians, even in some of the areas that we've already seen. Who is James? James, this half-brother of Jesus, is one who's writing about authentic faith. Faith that is real, faith that is true, leads into actions. We pray, believing, and then we expect to see certain results. He is a man who was, as legend tells us, known as Old Camel Knees because he had such a vibrant and effective prayer life that it had even shaped the way his knees looked because he would always drop to his knees in a moment's notice and spend much time there in prayer. He was one who stood for his faith even though while his brother, half-brother, Jesus, remember he would have been born of the earthly father, Joseph, but but as his half-brother Jesus was saying he was the Messiah, James didn't know whether to buy it or not, but after the resurrection, he became sold out to the point that he would die a martyr's death. The history, historians tell us he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. And when he landed, it didn't quite kill him, so they, the religious leaders stoned him to death, even right there at the base of the temple. But he would not deny his faith in Jesus Christ. And it was that willingness to live for Christ, but also to die in Christ, uh, to die for Christ and to suffer for Christ, that he is, he's writing out of that kind of passion and that kind of faith when he closes his letter to those persecuted Jewish Christians who had been scattered all over the world at this time. And he teaches us some things when we at the context that we need to understand about true healing. He gives us some biblical presuppositions, if you will, regarding our health. If you go back to verse 7, you begin to see some of these presuppositions. The first one is this, and, and I want to be abundantly clear here. We have not yet experienced the fullness of our glorification. We have not yet experienced the fullness of our glorification. There is a better day coming, folks. This is not heaven yet. And so we need to keep that in mind when we look at this subject matter. He says in verse 7, he says, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. In other words, you're going to suffer through some things until Jesus comes. Be patient. Hang in there. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts. There are certain things he's saying, you need to be responsible to take care of yourselves under the grace of God. He says, because the Lord's coming is near. He's coming back one day. But until then, our glorification is still 
incomplete. In Romans chapter 8, 30, it says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified or made righteous. He healed us, spiritually speaking. And those he justified, he glorified. He says that in past tense to say, you can be certain if you have been saved by the grace of God and you are in a relationship with Christ, you will be glorified. It's as if it has already happened in eternity. And so we understand that from the book of Romans. But 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says that what we're going to be has not yet been revealed. It says, but when he appears, we will be like him. We will be like the glorified Christ, for we shall see him as he is. And so there's coming a day where there will be no more sickness, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, and there are some that we've been praying for healing that God chose to give them what we will call the ultimate healing, and we might ask ourselves about some loved ones who are with the Lord, why did not God heal them when they are more whole than you and I are on this day? They received the ultimate healing. 2 Corinthians 5 explains that that day we'll, we'll have a new body when these dying bodies of ours will be swallowed up in life. And as I mentioned a moment ago in the book of Revelation, that at that point there will be no more death, no more pain, no more dying, no more tears, no more brokenness. We have not yet received the fullness of our glorification. We have sin-sick bodies because we live in a sin-fallen world, and we often suffer the consequences of that. But secondly, I want you to keep in mind, sickness and suffering are not always a reflection of personal sin. We see this in the context of the passage as well. Sickness and suffering are not always a reflection of personal sin. Yes, it's in the world because we live in a sin-fallen world, and sometimes it is directly related to personal sin, but that's not always the case. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see that there were those who were partaking of the Lord's table. Now, uh, next week, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together for Thanksgiving. But uh, there are those who partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And he says, because of that, many of you are sick and some are even dead. You've used God's grace as a license to sin. You've tolerated things in your life. And there are people among you who are sick and some have even died because they have taken lightly the word of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've made a mockery of even the Lord's table. And so that's why we have time to get our hearts right with God before we partake of the Lord's table. And so sometimes there is a reflection of our sin even in our sickness. And some of it is just no-brainer, common-sense kind of things, that certain things that we eat, certain things that we drink that become sinful, that become uh, harmful to our health. When we're disobedient to God in certain areas, it brings certain stresses in our life that harm our health. Again, sin-fallen bodies in a sin-fallen world, it's not always directly to personal sin, but sometimes, sometimes it can be traced directly to personal sin in our life. But why do we say not always? Look back at the text again. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is an example here. He says, speaking of the prophets in verse 10, He says, brothers, take these prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. He said, were they suffering because they weren't right with God? No, they were suffering because they were standing for God. 
And look at their patience. He says, see, we count it as, uh, as blessed those, or we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance. Who was Job? The Bible says he was a righteous man who walked with God. And his friends, when he lost his health and his family and everything else, he had some friends with friends like these who needs enemies, but he had friends that just say, Job, if you would just confess your sin, if you would just tell us what you've done. Maybe they were just gossips and busybodies. I don't know, but if you'll just tell us what you've done, God will heal you and you'll be okay. But that's not why sickness was in his life. It was in his life so that he could glorify God even in the midst of it. We also see that in John chapter 9. A boy that the Bible tells us was born blind, was brought before Jesus, and they asked the question, okay, who sinned? Jesus, who sinned? Was it the boy who sinned or was it his parents that sinned? And Jesus explained he's not blind because of his sin, and he's not blind because of his parents' sin. He's blind so that I might be glorified. He's blind so that I might be able to give God glory in this moment. And so we have to be careful with this philosophy that says if you just confess the right sin, then you will be whole. Or just because somebody is sick, it's because of a sin in their life. There are some of the most faithful Brothers and sisters in Christ I've ever met in my life who have endured great suffering and sickness, and God was glorified in the midst of it. And some received the ultimate healing, and some received a physical healing that blew our minds this side of heaven, and some experienced what we were talking about a moment ago, physicians that God has gifted their hands and gifted their brains, and they're able to do some remarkable things, and hopefully it will be for his glory in the end. And so, Everything's not the devil. Everything's not a sin. I, I remember the story when I was a student at Emmanuel College. One of our professors on a leadership weekend was in a canoe with two students from Emmanuel, two preacher students. And this canoe got stuck on a rock. And one of those in the canoe, one of those preacher boys, started saying, and, and they couldn't get it to go. It wasn't going anywhere. They were stuck. One of them just started going, The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar, and he was paddling harder, and it wasn't going anywhere. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Serious, he, he was saying that. And the professor said, in, 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 a, in a real dry humor sort of tone that he would often use, he said, well, that may be, but we're still on this rock. And sometimes we just hit rocks in life. It's something that God allows and decides how long we're going to stay in that place under his sovereign hand. At other times... There are other things that we need to involve in this process. So these are just a couple of biblical presuppositions that James has established in the context. But secondly, I want you to see this morning, there are some biblical preventatives resulting in physical strength. If we want to be at our best spiritually, physically, and emotionally, speaking of all the hurts we could have experienced, we need these preventive measures in our life, and we don't need to wait until we're sick to engage in these things. The first one is this. We need to be in a, living a life of constant prayer. Now look back at verse 13. In this same passage here, he says, if anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Well, we should be living a life of constant prayer. The word suffering here has to do with being constantly afflicted by bad 
things. It would have been a word that's used for heavy stress in your life. Isn't that what Paul told the church at Philippi? Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then in the midst of that, what does he do with your stress? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't wait until a physical crisis to become a prayer warrior. Be in constant prayer through the good times and bad times every season of life. Don't weary yourself in worry. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through, and I think what's happening to me emotionally, everything you talked about last week, is starting to affect me physically. Can I remind you what Paul told the church at Corinth in chapter 4? We've seen these verses in this study, but in verse 7, he says, now, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. James was writing to a persecuted church. They had been scattered because of suffering great persecution. He says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. My prayer life is a way I stay in communion with God so that I'm constantly reminded that God wants to do something in me and through me for his glory. Maybe it's by delivering me from the suffering or maybe it's by walking with me hand in hand through whatever comes my way. And we're also given here another preventative, not just the life of constant prayer, but a life of cheerful praise. He doesn't just talk about when things are not going good, but he says, is anyone cheerful? (laughs) Sometimes in the good times, we forget God because we think, well, I don't really need God. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. He should glorify God in the midst of that. Now, some of them also needed to be reminded of this, and some of you need to be reminded of this because someone may tell you otherwise. It's okay to feel good about feeling good. Okay, that is for somebody here this morning. Now, God didn't give me a a, a mental image of a particular face this morning, but I know it's for somebody this morning that it's okay to feel good about feeling good. There will be people in your life who will almost make you feel guilty about feeling good because they've become codependent upon bad feelings. And so when you've worked through something and you begin to experience a cheerfulness, you almost feel guilty. Was, I, was it okay for me to feel good? Absolutely. Some of you have been through some dark moments in life and God is bringing healing and, and you're, starting, you're starting to see some light within the tunnel. You're starting to have some good days and God is saying, just give him praise. It's okay to feel good about feeling good. Praise him that you feel cheerful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, there there will be people in your life, there are people that don't want the healing touch of God because they're so codependent upon being needy. Remember John chapter 5, that Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, and there's a man who had been laying there all his life, he'd been laying there all those years waiting for something to happen, and he, he asked him a question that we're going, Jesus, that's a dumb question. 
Well, our Lord's not going to ask a dumb question, but he, Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? That may sound like a dumb question, but I'm telling you, there are some of us that don't want to feel good. There are some of us that don't want to be cheerful because we have fallen so in love with being needy in difficult times. In Psalm 45 and verse 7 says that we need to be anointed with this oil of gladness. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 12 says, laughter does good like a medicine. So don't let the world make you feel bad about feeling good. And just because there may be a a God-anointed hypochondriac in your life, don't let them make you feel bad about feeling good. Enjoy those moments. Give God praise. Give God glory in those sweet spots of life, in those wonderful seasons of life, and then be ready to embrace him and hold tight to him when it's not always like that. We can't neglect prayer and praise as a part of our daily routine just as we cannot. Listen, we know that for our physical health, living in a sin-fallen world, today we have to have things like certain nutrients. We have to eat our vegetables, Jeff. We've got to have protein, right? We've got to have certain vitamins. Those things have to be in our life. But there's a spiritual impact when prayer and praise is a part of our life, we're simply going to feel better. It's going to affect us physiologically. The prayer of a righteous man avails much, even in his own life, in his own soul. Now, I look forward to a day when we're in glory, and chocolate ice cream has no calories, and when Everything can be deep fried and have no fat. I look forward to those days. But that's not the world in which we live. There's certain things that we need, and we need to live this life. Don't feel bad about feeling good. If you're cheerful, sing praises, glorify God, and use your health, use your strength. If you're able to walk, you're able to talk, you're able to breathe, God's got you here for his glory. And then finally this morning, I want us to see the biblical prescription. This is what some of you perhaps we're looking forward to hearing this morning. What is, what is all this about the anointing with oil? Why does Pastor Robbie do some strange things from time to time? Biblical prescription for restoring our power. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? This is not the same word for suffering in, in the distresses of life. Is anyone among you sick? It, the word has to do with being weak, powerless, and rendered unable to do anything that God has called you to do. When you are rendered weak, powerless, and unable to do what God has called you to do, what do we do in those moments? This is pretty big time. It's not saying, you know, because you had a hangnail, because you had a cold, and the pastor didn't come see you, he probably doesn't love you. (laughs) What is it saying here? saying when we've been rendered unable to do what God has called us to do, then verse 14 here, call for the elders of the church, call for the spiritual leadership that God has placed in your faith community. Call for those leaders to come and to pray. So it starts with a call. You have to initiate the process here. Faith initiates the process it's amazing sometimes, Pastor Ben, that people will think that we are psychic somehow and that if somebody is sick, that magically it drifts its way through 
or uh, the, the channels of social media <laughs> cause it to get back to the church leadership, and sometimes we honestly have no idea whatsoever. And the person of faith initiates this process. Call for the elders of the church. Initiate the process. Let someone know. Now, I want to skip down to verse 16 because it uses the word therefore, so that means it qualifies some other things we read in 14 and 15. And so let's go back and qualify those things. When we do this, we need to confess any known sin. This process calls for us to initiate because of faith, asking others to come and to pray for us. But he says, therefore, confess your sins. We need to be in a constant state of confessing our sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so we confess any known sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there should be time not only for you to confess your sin, but for the ones who's coming to pray for you. Here's another reason confession is important. If I harbor sin in my heart, then God's not going to listen to my prayers. It's not that God's not omnipresent and can't hear. Remember last week we talked about his relational presence. If I have harmed that relational presence and I'm going to pray for you, I need to pray Psalm 139. The the last two verses of that psalm, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know know my anxiety, see if there's any wicked way in me. And if God reveals something that might hinder my prayer life, then you would want me to get my heart right with God before I pray for you. And so there's a time of confession that is so important when we're going to pray this prayer for healing or anything else as far as that goes. And then in case the sickness is related to a sin, it's not always the case, but in case it is, God can reveal that to you as you're confessing your sins to him. So we call for leadership. We confess any known sin. Then we believe that God is able. Now, as we back up in this text again, let's go back to verse 15. What does verse 15 says? The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Remember, that's qualified by the therefore that that we've got to be confessing sins in order to experience the forgiveness of those sins. But here is a prayer of faith, a prayer believing that God is able, not a prayer commanding God, But I believe a prayer with confidence that God is an omnipotent God and there is nothing that our God cannot do. He may choose to do it miraculously. He may choose to do it medically. But he is able to do all things. And we pray believing. We don't pray commanding. But we pray with a faith like those three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that said to Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. They left room for that to be the will of God. And some of us will say, well, wait a minute. That, that becomes an excuse for many of us. When it says God will raise him up. Listen, even our Lord, before he was crucified, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We might question our heart, we might question our motives, we might question God's plan, but we don't question God's ability. I moved from a place in life where I used to say, not my will but yours be done, and that was my excuse to tag a prayer because I really didn't believe God was going to work. 
And then as I grew and I began to see the power of God and I became more confident, I quit praying that prayer because I didn't want to put that tag on there. Well, you're probably not going to hear this prayer anyway, Lord, so not my will, but yours be done. That way when it doesn't happen, I can just say, and, and so I, I, dro- I removed that tag from my prayers. I quit saying, not my will. But then God brought me to a deeper place in life and a deeper place in my spiritual journey where I began to have confidence that God knows what's best for me than I know what's best for myself. And I know he has all power and he's a sovereign God. And I've met brothers and sisters in Christ whom God has chosen to leave in a wheelchair because remember what this word weakness has to do with? It has to do with being unable to do what God's called us to do. Whether you're talking about my friend Jerry Ediger, who God uses as a great encouragement in my life and has preached right here from his wheelchair before, or, or somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's got, who God has used mightily, they were able to do and are able to do, empowered to do what God has called them to do. And then there are other times that God has preserved. I, I don't know um, how Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old. I know he was faithful to God. And Jim Elliott, as a missionary, went to be with the Lord when he was barely a young man. But God is sovereign, and he will raise us up to do whatever he has called us to do when we begin to pray in faith that he is able. Then we pray. We believe that God is able, and then we pray for healing and restoration. It says, verse 14 again, let them pray over him, anointing with oil. Anointing with oil. What is this? Is that literally, spiritually? Is that uh, medicine? There's debate. Listen, Greek scholars debate on this passage, the anointing with oil. And some will say that the anointing with oil was the application of medicine. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan helped the man who had been beaten and loved for dead, and he bandaged his wounds. He anointed them with oil. And because that anointing was a medical treatment. And so to anoint wounds with oil sometimes referred to treating something medically in New Testament time. Also, though, James is writing to Jews who were scattered abroad after coming to faith in Christ because of the persecution, and their religious background says that anointing with oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit's coming on you. So the question that we're left with in in trying to understand this passage is, do we literally anoint people with oil, not because the oil is magic, it's not, Do we anoint people with oil because it reminds us that if healing comes, ultimately it's to the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, or do we get medical treatment? Well, folks, if we read the rest of the Scripture, we discover something, and that is that both are true applications. Oil does represent the Holy Spirit's work, yet the Scriptures do tell us to get the medical treatment that we need. And so we don't say, well, I'm not going to see the doctor because we prayed about that and I'm just believing God. Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Now, don't just go hit the liquor store after church and say, Pastor Robbie told me to. That was his NyQuil, right? But he was saying, take some medicine, Timothy. (laughs) 
And, and so sometimes we need to take medicine and we do need to see our doctors, but we also need to believe that God is able to do so much more than what those professionals can do. And the anointing with oil is a picture of our trust in the Holy Spirit's work. And so we pray for healing and restoration, and then we trust God for the results. We trust God for the results. And say, God, I just want to be raised up however you want me to glorify you. Hope shared with us today. She's not with Terry. Anytime she's not with Terry, and I see him, I say, I guess you're hopeless today, right? She's not with Terry, but he's preaching today. God did not raise him up just to sit sour and soak somewhere. God raised him up to serve. And God wants to raise you up, whatever that looks like, so that you can serve him and glorify him. And he's not done with you until he's done with you, this side of heaven. I look forward to when he comes back and we're all going to see him as he is and we're going to be made like him. We're going to receive that glorified body. Oh, I long for that day. But until then, I want to walk with him. I want to praise him in the good times and the bad times. I want to pray without ceasing. I want to see his power at work, reminding people again and again that God is in control, that God is the one who has all power. Isaiah said we, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Now, if we look at the context again, it tells us that spiritual healing is more important than physical healing that he went to a cross that you might be in right relationship with him. That's so much more important than how you feel. It's that you know that you know you're a child of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed.